Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, October 15th, 2023, we continue our series titled, Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Who is Jesus?, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. Enjoy. Man, if we were to exit these doors and ask the world, the crowd, this question, who is Jesus, we would get all sorts of responses, both religious and non-religious. You might get, yeah, he was a teacher. He was a historical figure. He existed. Uh, Maybe you'll get more religious than that. He was a Jewish leader. He was a rabbi. He was a prophet. Um, Some religions would say that Jesus is an archangel, that Jesus is the brother of Satan, that Jesus is just the God of this universe, that there's gods of other universes as well. The answers would abound to that same question, who is Jesus? But how we answer that question and how we believe about that answer changes everything. Who is Jesus? There's three questions we're going to ask looking at the text this morning. And again, we're in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. Three questions we're going to get into. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? And what does Jesus expect from us? That's where we're going to go this morning in Luke chapter 9. Let me pray for us once more, asking for God's help, and then we'll dive in together. God, thank you for Um, the freedom to gather this morning and to celebrate you and glorify you for who you are and what you've done. God, we come before you this morning asking for help, help to understand just what's going on in the world, asking for help uh, with what's going on in different parts of the world, especially within Israel. God, we pray that, um, and we know that you can do something. God, that you are everything, that you are in control, and we trust you in all things. God, we pray for your help this morning in applying your word to, you, to our life. God, would we be honest and real about that? Would we not think we've got it all together and know all the answers to everything, but would we submit ourselves unto you to be used by you for your glory and your glory alone? God, everything we do say, sing, think, and feel in this space this morning is for your glory and your glory alone. God, we love you, and it's the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Like I said, Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. If you are new to the Bible and new to church and you're asking the question, who is Luke? That's a great place to start. You got no idea who Luke is or where that's at in a Bible. There's a Bible around you. You can find Luke chapter 9 on page 1030. Uh, And let me tell you this. If you're in this space this morning and that's your story, you're in the right place. And we're glad you're with us this morning to understand who Jesus really is and what he's done for you. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27, like I said, three questions. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? And what does Jesus expect? We're going to answer that first question first. Who is Jesus? Verse 18 begins like this. Now it happened as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? I mean, we just asked this crowd, who do the crowds say that I am? We could go out into the world and ask the crowd, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, if you remember John the Baptist, he was the guy crying out in the wilderness, make way for the Lord. He was a prophet, make way for the Lord. Maybe some of the people out there think you're him. John the Baptist was dead at this point. You know, we think, people think Jesus is John the Baptist. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Elijah. Um, If you rewind to the Old Testament, who's Elijah? He was that pretty awesome guy who rained down fire from heaven on the prophets of Baal, 
That was pretty cool. He did this other cool thing where he didn't die. That was kind of unique. He rode a chariot of fire up into heaven. So, I mean, pretty cool guy. Some think he's Elijah. Or they say, or one of the prophets of old has risen. He's one of the other old dead guys from the Old Testament. We're not really sure, but the crowds say, in regard to who is Jesus, Jesus is something special. That's the popular opinion about who Jesus is. Jesus is something special, and while that's certainly true, it definitely falls short of his true identity of who Jesus really is. So Peter, or Jesus gives Peter an opportunity to respond. Verse 20, then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? This is the most important question you and I can be asked and the most important question that you and I could ask someone else. Who is Jesus to you? What do you believe about Jesus? Peter, of course, answers. Peter is the ready, fire, aim apostle. He's always ready to do something, even if he really hasn't thought it all through. But this time, he hits the nail on the head and totally gets it right. Peter says this, you are the Christ of God. You are the Christ of God. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the savior of the world. This word Christ, it means anointed one. It means chosen one. You could look back in the Old Testament and see that God's people were awaiting the arrival of this anointed one. They were waiting for the arrival of this chosen one. They were awaiting a Messiah. And here Peter professes that's who Jesus is. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the chosen one. You're the anointed one. You're the one who is to come. You are the savior of the world. It's actually baked into Jesus's name. Jesus's name, they probably didn't say it like Jesus. It sounded more like Yeshua. Yeshua comes from two different words. Yeshua comes from Yahweh, which is the word for God, and Yasha, which means saves or salvation. Jesus's name, Yeshua, meant God Savior. God saves. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God saves, and his title is Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, the Messiah. This is what the scriptures teach all over the place. Let's go to John chapter three. Remember, Jesus had three best friends of all of his disciples. He had Peter, James, and John. We're like his inner three. You could call them his three amigos if you wanted to. John chapter three, verse 16, speaking about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. John three beginning in verse 16, says this, for God so loved the world. Now what's the world? The world's not the earth. Yes, God cares for the earth. The world is the people who inhabit the earth. For God so loved people that he gave his only son. This is Jesus. For God so loved people that he gave Jesus. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believes in him. What does that mean to believe in him? It does not just mean believe that he existed a long, long time ago. Any trustworthy world historian believes that Jesus existed a long, long time ago. This is talking about so much more than just believing that he existed. It's believing in him. Believing that he is who he said he was. And that he was, in fact, the savior of the world. It's trusting his works on the cross, his works defeating death and resurrecting from the grave. His works, it's trusting him and not me. It's trusting that Jesus came and lived a perfect life that you and I, to be honest, we really don't even try to be perfect. We've got sin in our life. That he died the death in our place that you and I deserve to die. The scriptures teach he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. That if you and I would believe in him, then so too we can have life. Life abundantly here and life eternal later. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Whoever believes in him would not perish 
but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the savior of the world. That's who Jesus said he was. That's who Jesus' followers said he was. That's who we claim him to be today. Jesus is the savior of the world. I want to read a quote to you from a guy named C.S. Lewis. You've probably heard of C.S. Lewis. He didn't just write Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe stuff. He, uh, he wrote a lot of theological books, one of which was a book called Mere Christianity. If you're looking for a theology book to read that kind of lays out the fundamentals and foundations of Christianity, Mere Christianity is a really great place to start. Here's what C.S. Lewis said about the identity of Jesus, of who he was. Here's what he says. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. Here's what they say. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis goes on and says, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Here's the options. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus either is who he says he is or he's nothing at all. Those are the options. Jesus came to the earth saying things like, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a bold claim. That's either who he is or he's nothing at all. It's a decision you and I must make. But there's no room to live in the middle. Who is Jesus according to the text? The text says he is the savior of the world. Second question, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus come to earth to do? Verse 21, he goes on, and he strictly charges and commanded them to tell this to no one. This is really weird. Okay, Peter professes, you're the Christ of God. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus' response is to tell Peter, correct, tell nobody. Which seems kind of opposite from what we tend to do a lot in the church. Like we say, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And we tell you, tell everybody. Tell everybody. That's what Jesus teaches throughout the New Testament. That's what the Apostle Paul teaches throughout the, Old Testament, the New Testament. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Tell everybody. That's how we grow up. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. That's how we grow up in the church. And it's almost like Jesus here is saying, this little light of yours, don't let it shine right now. Hide it under a bushel. Yes, don't let it shine. Why would Jesus say such a thing? It kind of seems contrary to what he would normally teach throughout the Gospels. Well, there's a little insight we see from other stories. Think of the first miracle Jesus performed. He turned water into wine. And speaking to his mother Mary, what does he say? Woman, my time has not yet come. Okay, it's not time for me to start doing all of these miracles. It's not time for that yet. Or earlier in Luke, we've seen Jesus perform miracles. And then he tells people, tell no one. Tell no one. 
Well, why? Because these people, these people who were following him, these crowds, the Jewish leaders, authorities, uh, rabbis, rulers, all of them, they were expecting a certain savior, a certain Messiah, a certain chosen one, a certain kind of anointed one, one who would set them free from Roman oppression, not Jesus who would come set them free from sin. These people were waiting for brave heart Jesus. That's what they wanted. Brave heart Jesus. Or they were looking for gladiator Jesus. Someone who would come and stick it to the man and tear down the rule and reign of the Roman rulership and leadership and that he would set up something new for God's people. But that's not what Jesus came to do. So he says, yes, I'm the chosen one. Yes, I'm the anointed one. But tell this to no one because my time has not yet come. We'll reveal that when it's time to reveal that. He commanded them to tell this to no one, saying this, the son of man, um, we're gonna do a little Bible study on son of man real quick. Every time Jesus uses this term of himself, uh, it's intended to bring up a a certain uh, teaching from Daniel chapter seven. When Jesus talks about son of man, he's talking about a title that's found in Daniel chapter seven. You can turn there if you'd like, or I can just read it to you. Uh, Let me set the scene. Daniel has a vision. And in this vision, there's this ancient of days. The ancient of days is God the Father. And in this dream, he sees the Son of Man, Jesus, coming to God the Father, the ancient of days. And here's what it says about this Son of Man. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. This is Jesus, a Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, to the Son of Man, to Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's who this Son of Man is. That's who this chosen, anointed Messiah, Savior of the world is. He's the Son of Man, a kingdom and a rule that will never end which kind of sounds like Braveheart Jesus. But Jesus goes on and he corrects it. The son of man must what? He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. That's what the son of man, the chosen, the anointed, the Messiah, the savior of the world came to do. Jesus came to this world to be rejected to suffer, to die, but ultimately be raised for us. That's what he came for, to set us free, not from some worldly oppression, but to set us free from our slavery to sin. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the savior of the world. What did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to set us free and rescue us. That's why he's here. There's a third question. What does Jesus expect? Okay, if Jesus is the savior of the world, if Jesus came to set us free, if Jesus is the son of man with all rule, reign, authority, kingdom that will never end, what does he expect of the people who are a part of his kingdom? He expects us to follow him daily. That's the expectation that Jesus gives. Verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, that's what we're trying to do here as a church, by the way. If you ask us, you know, what's the five-year plan of Highlands? What's the vision of Highlands? Really simple. It's the same thing Jesus called his disciples to do, to follow him. That's what we're trying to do right now, is create a community and a culture where people deeply just want to follow Jesus. Not a, not a, not a culture where, where people want to be religious. Jesus hated religion. 
Uh, not a culture where people just want to be Christians and say the right thing and do the right thing and put on their happy face. No, Jesus doesn't want that either. We're not trying to create good church attenders, good church participants, good churchmen and churchwomen. We're trying to help people follow Jesus. So if you're in, if that's where your heart is, if you're looking for a place of people that um, as messy and imperfect as we are is committed to following Jesus, this is what it looks like. He goes on, if anyone would come after me, there's three things, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We're gonna look at those three things real quick. I'd invite you if you want, you can join me in Philippians chapter two uh, and we're gonna see what this means and what does this look like to deny self, to live with an other's first kind of attitude. Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse three, says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do things in such a way where you're constantly looking out for number one. Right? Everything's about me, myself, and I. What I want, when I want it, when I want to do it. Don't live your life that way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Okay, you are a child of God created with honor and dignity as such. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of yourself less. Number one is no longer you. Number one is the person standing in front of you and the God who created you. That's what number one becomes. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Be like Jesus. Jesus came and laid down his life for his friends. Jesus came to seek the lost. Jesus came to save the lost. Jesus came to serve. For the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, did not come to be served, but the Son of Man came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This was the way Jesus lived. Jesus lived others first. It's the lifestyle Jesus calls his people to live. Go one page to the right, Philippians chapter three. This is the apostle Paul still um, speaking about his pedigree. And Paul accomplished a lot of things. He had a wonderful personality. People said uh, all wonderful sorts of things about him. His reputation preceded him everywhere he went. But Paul in Philippians 3 verse 7 decides it's better for him to give that all up for the sake of following Jesus. Philippians 3 verse 7, Paul says this, but whatever gain I had, whatever status I had accumulated in the world, whatever gain I had, whatever stuff I accumulated on this side of heaven, whatever gain I had, whatever people said about me, whatever reputation I worked so hard to earn, whatever gain I had, I counted it all as loss for the sake of Christ. That's what it means to deny yourself. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Why do I count it all as loss? Why do I deny myself? Because Jesus is better. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. It's the word for trash in order that I may gain Christ. Paul had it all, but he denied himself of all the wonderful things this world had to offer him for the purpose of him knowing and following Jesus. It's what it means to deny self. It's what Christ calls his people to. The second thing, he says, deny himself and take up his cross. This would have been a really weird thing for this community of people 
to here. How many of you got one of these around your neck? How many of you wear a cross? Just raise the hands. Or if it's beautiful and you want it to blind the person next to you, then let it hit the light the right way so they can see what's around your neck if you'd like. I've been wearing a cross since I was a little kid. Why? Because that's what Jesus says. Take up your cross daily and follow him, right? That's what this means. Wear a, wear a cross chain. Uh, not at all. In fact, to that community, this might have been a little offensive. The thought that you'd wear a cross around your neck. See, to us, the cross is a symbol of redemption. It's a symbol of forgiveness. It's a symbol of what Christ did for you and I so we could have life with him. To first century people who are following Jesus and even people just living in that community, the cross was a torture device. It was a method of torture reserved for the worst criminals, the rapists, the terrorists, the murderers. That's what the cross stood for. It was a symbol of death. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, die to self daily. Be willing to choose Jesus over any other option life has to offer. And maybe you found yourself in a situation where following Jesus cost you a relationship. This is what it means to die to self, to take up your cross. It means choosing Jesus over something else. Maybe it's cost you a career. There's a family in our church about 10 years ago, the owners of the company they were working for said you can either convert to Mormonism or you're fired. And they got fired by the grace of God because they took up their cross and chose to follow Jesus instead of what the world was offering them. This is what it means to take up your cross. It means to die to self, die to desires, and put Jesus at the front and center. Take up his cross daily and follow me. What's it mean to follow Jesus? It means we follow his example and we follow his teachings. Simply put, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Three things he tells them. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The next three, three verses, Jesus gives reasoning. Okay, why should we do such a thing? Verse 24, why should we follow Jesus daily? Well, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This was Evan's story. Living for self, which ultimately led to self-destruction. Saving his life and living his life according to the, the world and what the world had to offer, and in doing so, in trying to live this life the best way, he ultimately lost it until he found Jesus. And for his sake, he gave up his life to follow Christ, and in losing his life, Christ saved his life. Why do we follow Jesus instead of following self? Because there's a promise. If we lose our life for his sake, then we'd ultimately find it in him. Verse 25, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Why do we follow Jesus instead of just pursuing the things of the world? Because at the end of our story, the man with the most toys still dies. He doesn't win. He just dies like the rest of us. We don't store up treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal, where rust and moth destroy. We store up treasures in heaven where thieves don't break in and steal, where moth and rust can't destroy. We have an eternity focus. We have a kingdom of God focus, not a kingdom of self. It's a kingdom of God. 
Thirdly, for whoever is ashamed of me, um, I like to go in my Bible and highlight or underline scary verses. This is a scary verse. This is one of those scary verses. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, whoever is ashamed of me, who Christ is, his identity, and what Christ came to do, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, my teachings, the things I said, of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. It's a little terrifying. Why should I follow Jesus daily? Why should I deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow him? Why should I not be ashamed of him? Because the scriptures teach if I'm ashamed of him, then he'll be ashamed of me. That's a scary thought. Verse 27, we're gonna dive into this more next week as we study the transfiguration of Christ. But for now, I'll read it. It says this, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. We're gonna dive into that next week as we look at the story of Jesus being transfigured on a mountaintop and Moses is there, Elijah's there, Peter, James, and John. is. It's a really, really cool story. I'd encourage you to come back uh, and hear what God does there. Three questions. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the savior of the world. That's who Jesus is. What did Jesus do? Jesus came to suffer, die, face rejection, ultimately be raised to life for us. What does Jesus expect? Jesus expects us to follow him. I wanna close with three encouragements. What does it look like for us to follow Jesus daily? We're gonna go back to verse 24, 25, and 26 and draw from there for our application this morning. First thing is this, how do we follow Jesus daily? We lose our life daily. We lose our life daily. Romans chapter 12, verse one, it says we should present ourselves as a living sacrifice. We daily die to self, we daily take up our cross, we daily follow him. A daily prayer that we can pray this week is God, would your kingdom come and would your will be done in my life as it is in heaven? That we would daily lose our life, be surrendered to Christ for his purposes and what he's trying to do in and through our life. To follow him means to lose our life for him. Secondly, what's it look like to follow Jesus daily? It looks like we live to grow God's kingdom instead of our own. Are you more concerned with what people say about you or more concerned with what people believe about Jesus? Are we willing to put it all on the line for the purpose of growing God's kingdom and not our own? Okay, the, the kingdom of Thomas is this small in the scheme of, of eternity. It's this small. The kingdom of Raj and TJ is this small in the, in, the, in the realm of eternity. Each and every one of us, we can live this life building up a kingdom, but the reality is every kingdom in this world will fall. Every leader and ruler in this world will fall. There's one leader and one kingdom and one king who has no end. His rule, his reign, it's eternal. And that king is King Jesus. Friends, that's the kingdom we are trying to build. Not the kingdom of highlands, not the kingdom of self. We're building the kingdom of God. So daily we set out and say, God, I just wanna grow your kingdom, not pursue the greatest things this world has to offer, but God, I wanna pursue you. 
And would you have your will, have your way within my life? We grow God's kingdom instead of our own. Third thing, how do we follow Jesus daily? I'm gonna call the band out. We'll close with this. How do we follow Jesus? We live a life that's unashamed of Jesus. We live a life that's unashamed of Jesus. Why? Because if we're ashamed of him, then he'll be ashamed of us. Romans chapter one, verse 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power to salvation for everyone who believes. That word gospel, it means good news. What's the good news? Let me lay it out for you. The good news is this. God created everything perfectly, perfect relationship between God and man. Here's the bad news. Sin enters the world. Totally severs that relationship. Here's more good news. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're sinners, he sends his son Jesus to die in our place. Bible goes on, it says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is Messiah, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we too can be saved. Friends, that's the good news, that's the gospel, and there is no reason in this life we should ever be ashamed of it. My hope and prayer for us this week as we go out into the world is that we would find opportunities for us to be bold, opportunities for us to not be ashamed of who Christ is and what Christ has done. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the savior of the world. My hope and prayer this morning is that each and every single one of us would profess that as the truth in our life. It might be the thousandth time you've prayed that prayer, professing him as savior. It might be the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, professing him as savior. But my prayer, every heart this morning would respond with that, that we would say Jesus is the savior of the world. What did he come to do? He came to suffer, face rejection, die, but be raised for us. That through his death and life and resurrection that we too could have life. Life abundant here and life eternal later. What does Jesus expect? Friends, Jesus expects us to follow him daily. So tomorrow morning when you wake up, would you deny yourself? Would you take up your cross, choose Jesus over everything and follow him? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll close with one more song of worship. God, we're thankful for you. God, we're thankful for your word. God, both your written word, which contained the words of life, and also your son, Jesus, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. God, this morning we're thankful that he is the savior of the world. Father, I don't know where everyone's at in this space this morning. I pray that you would convict them, that you'd open their eyes, that they would see you, their ears, they'd hear you, their hearts to love you, and mouths that would be bold and unashamed and speak of who you are and what you've done for them. God, if you're moving in someone's heart this morning, would they not leave until they tell someone? God, I pray even now you'd convict hearts to desire to follow you. Maybe it's the first time. God, hearts to desire to turn, turn away from the world and back to you. God, and that you would do that for your glory and for their good. God, thank you for allowing us to be in relationship with you. Would we daily deny ourselves? Would we take up our cross and would we follow you? God, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And let me say it again. I don't know where you're at in your faith this morning. I don't know how you're answering that question, who is Jesus? But if this morning is the first time in your life you feel God moving in your heart to profess Jesus as the savior of the world, to profess him as the Lord of your life, 
Would you tell somebody? Might be the person who brought you to church this morning, invited you, man. It would make their morning, it would make their week if they could have that conversation with you this morning. Maybe you want to chat with one of us at the church. There'll be a team of people back in the corner by that giant glowing sign. You can't miss it. It says, follow Jesus. If that's your heart this morning, is to die to self, lose yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And we'd love to meet you back there and help you take your next step in following Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the savior of the world. What did Jesus do? Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. He suffered, he was rejected, he died, but he defeated death, rose to life for us. That if we place our faith, our hope and trust in him, then we too could defeat death. We could have life abundant now and eternal later. What does Jesus expect, church? He expects us to follow him daily. So this week daily, would we deny ourselves? Would we take up our cross? Would we follow him, amen? Highlands Church, love each other. Get out into that world and live on mission. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.